Everybody, welcome into the Irish NFL show presented by Trust Gaming. We are literally weeks away now from the NFL season. And one thing that we really pride ourselves on at the Walshed Bar here with the usual lads is this. You know, we really want to grow the game in Ireland. And for us, seeing the growth of the game in Ireland, both north and south of the border, is fantastic. And one team that really has a lot to do with that with a massive amount of Irish heritage is the Pittsburgh Steelers and we're honoured to have a member of the Rooney family on today's show, Tom Rooney. Tom, welcome into the show, you're very welcome and welcome to Ireland as well. Thanks, thanks for having me. Great to be here, it's such warm weather. <laughs> <laughs> this has been recorded in probably the warmest week ever, so it's, it's been good crack in that sense. Tom, for people that aren't aware, because a lot of people, especially maybe in the UK as well, weren't aware until recently, could you maybe talk to us about maybe your connection to Ireland and, and the team's connection to Ireland as well? Yeah, so um, obviously our, our surname is a, of Irish heritage and our family came to the US, uh, I guess, sometime in the 1800s, but um, my uncle Dan, who was up until recently, until he passed away, the, the president of the team was also named ambassador to Ireland by President Obama, um, served in that capacity with immense pride. He liked to say that he was the first ambassador, I don't know if this is true or just him saying it, that visited every county. And, um, you know, he, he, he really took his job seriously, where I think some people that get named to that post take it more ceremonially. He, he really wanted it to be uh, meaningful. So um, that, that was obviously a big thing, but even at a more personal level, his younger brother, my dad, has had a house here for over 30 years, and um, I have several relatives that live in Dublin, and you know my son's in, in summer school here now. My brother works here. Um, so our ties to Ireland are very real, and. Um, you know, it's it's just great. Every time I come over here, I feel like I'm sort of coming to my second home. So, yeah, um, I mean, those those connections run deep. But um, I'm interested in hearing from you. What was for a lot of people watching? They might grow up in a household where it's a 49ers household because their dad supported the team, so they support the team. You grew up in a household where it wasn't just supporting the team. I mean, it was part of being owners of the, the franchise. What was that like? I was, it was amazing. I mean, when you're a little kid, though, like I, I, you know, I was born in 1970, so all of the 70s when the Steelers started that dynasty, it seemed like we were always going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> and so it was just like, hey, we're going to the Super Bowl again. So, you know, as a little kid growing up, uh, we were still up in Pennsylvania at the time. Um, I remember my, my mom and dad taking us out of school like on Friday before Super Bowl Sunday and flying to Los Angeles or Miami or something. And just sort of, you know, selfishly thought that's what everybody got to do, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't um, underappreciate uh, when I got older, though, uh, the blessing that we had not only as a family but as a team, and um, you know, it certainly means probably more to me than just being a fan. I don't mean to diminish that, but. Honestly, if we lose on Sunday, I, I, you know, my wife won't talk to me until Wednesday on purpose just to sort of let me like get over it. But another interesting thing is I've noticed in my household when we're playing and the team does something good, there's no cheering. But when the team does something bad, there is there could be things flying through the air at the TV. It's like we take it so personally that. You know, you don't cheer like, hey, you got a touchdown, yay. It's just like, touchdown, good, next play. 
you know, like <laughs> it, it's, it's almost like, you know, you just, you got to get that fixed. But, um, but no, it's been, it's been awesome. And, you know, obviously getting two more Super Bowls along the way and going to two others that we didn't win. Um, you know, it's been, it's been, like I said, we, we, our family has lived the American dream. And, um, so I, I never forget that. Try not to. Another family which you have close ties to is the Mara family, who, yeah. who are the owners of the New York Giants, a team close to my heart. And just in terms of growing up, your, your relationship with that family, and was there always a kind of a, an affection to the Giants outside of the Pittsburgh Steelers? I was always the Steelers, and this was as time has regressed, um, do you still keep in touch with the family and how they've run that organization? Yeah, no, I mean, for, for sure. Like, I just read this book uh, called The League, which was about the, the beginning of the NFL and the, the original five or six teams. And my grandfather and Tim Mara, um, they were friends mostly through horse racing. Uh, it, it's, it's funny, like the, the way that the league started was basically through five guys going up to Saratoga in the summer of uh, sometime in the 20s. And they were all young guys and basically brainstormed to start this professional football league which at that time was sort of seen you know not not it would it wouldn't have been taken as seriously because college football or boxing or baseball were the sports and it was kind of seen as almost perverted for somebody to go from college and make money professionally playing football but but those five guys and at the very beginning uh it was Tim Mara and Art Rooney who you know were were close friends and remains so for a long to you know one of the things that um a lot of people don't know is my uncle tim uh is named after tim mara and um his daughter kathleen is married to chris mara so that's the that's when the family sort of united there um by marriage and then you know of course um they have famous children themselves but uh no the 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 roonies and the maras and the Giants and the Steelers have, it's, it's kind of like when, when you talk about being a Giants fan, you know, as opposed to maybe other teams that I'm not as uh, favorable towards, the Giants and like the Packers, it, teams like that, I, I have a reverence for because they've been there since the beginning and they're like an old fashioned team. And I think that that's- um, Storied franchise. Yeah, they really are. And, um, but no, our, our two families go way, way back. And you mentioned the famous siblings, obviously Rooney Mara, famous yep. actress. I wonder where the Rooney name might have come from in that uh, designation. But uh, thinking of the Steelers, I mean, you mentioned a little bit there, Tom, you know, six Super Bowls in total. You know, we'll give you vicarious life of the four for the Giants as well. But when My cousin a actually has 10 rings, which is crazy. Because there you go. <laughs> she's got the six and the four. I don't know of how many people are out there that legitimately have 10 Super Bowl rings that, you know, because her husband works for the fingers. Yeah. She's working on one for the toe. Yeah. They say one for the thumb, it's one yeah. for the toe at this stage. But, you know, when I think of that, and you say you were a really young lad almost for the Chuck Knoll, Terry Bradshaw, Mean Joe Green, Franco Harris, immaculate reception kind of Steelers era. I'm kind of wondering, did you get as much enjoyment out of those games or maybe the two more recent Super Bowl victories in the noughties? Did you get, do you feel like you appreciated it more or are there any particular memories from any of those six games that really stand out for you? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the games when I, when I was, you know, 
in the 70s when I was a young kid. I mean, that was almost like magical. Like in my mind, it's almost like a fairy tale back there. But, you know, thinking about Lynn Swan making those catches or Bradshaw going deep to Stallworth, you know, to, to beat the Rams and, you know, beating the Cowboys and stuff like that. I mean, it, that that's almost seems like a dream, but it's a good dream. And um, but then, you know, when I got to be older and then we went, to play the Cowboys in Arizona, which unfortunately we lost. That was the Jimmy Johnson, Troy Aikman, Emmett yeah. Smith team. Um, but we were right there. And I think that we were the biggest underdog of any Super Bowl up to that point. I think it was like a two touchdown spread. And at the, at the end of that game, we, I don't know if you remember, we kicked an onside kick, sort of surprise onside kick. And we were right there and then, you know, had a couple unfortunate interceptions. But um, I remember because that was the first Super Bowl I went to where I was, you know, drinking beer. I remember going to the bathroom and like this cowboy guy's next to me in the fourth quarter. I'm like, you're going down. He's like, I'm just trying to go to the bathroom here. But I'm just like, I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, so but that was that was awesome. But I, I think the biggest moment for, uh, you know, for us is when San Antonio Holmes caught the touchdown by Big Ben in Tampa versus the Cardinals uh, in the back of the end zone. Um, when Larry Fitzgerald caught that touchdown pass right before that, I'm just like, I'm thinking to myself, because we had that game. It was done. And then all of a sudden they came back, and he scored that touchdown, and then I'm like, oh, crap. They're, they're, they might win this game. They had all the momentum. Yeah. And then um, – He took that slam route basically 80 yards. Yeah. Just and, and then, we, and then we, we came back down. I'm just like, okay, at, at least if we get a field goal – you know, there could be overtime. And we got in field goal range, so I sort of was like, okay, I'll take that. But then, I don't know if you re re remember that game at all, but right before that, Santonio dropped a touchdown pass that was probably an easier catch than the one he ended up catching. So when he dropped out, I'm like, oh, you know, that was for real. It, it was going to be over, but then he caught that one in the back of the end zone, which I still can't believe he got both feet down, but that was the awesome. The throw from Big Ben in particular, he put it in a place yeah. where only he could catch it. Absolutely. And sure, you want to catch it in triple coverage in the back end of the yeah. end zone. Make it more dramatic. Yeah. That's, that's what and it was he, all about. He like triple pumped it, and then he finally just let it go. But also in that game was a, a great play with James Harrison bumbling and stumbling for 100 yards for a touchdown off an interception. That was kind of cool. But that, but that catch was, I think, stands out to me as the best moment in, in Super Bowl history for the Steelers. That's my personal opinion. I know some other people would probably say something different, but – yeah, it's all good, and we're we're obviously very fortunate to have four games a year in London over here now, and they call this generation here now like the second generation from that explosion from NFL Europe. And one thing that I really regret, Tom, is not being able to go to the game in Crook Park in 1997, 24 years ago, when the Steelers played the Bears. Uh, were you at that game? And and even if you weren't, what was that like seeing Pittsburgh go to Ireland and actually play a game, regardless if it was preseason or not? Yeah, no, I was there, um, and and it was it was a lot of fun, and uh, it was packed. A another old storied franchise in Chicago, um, so you know there was a lot. There's obviously a lot of Irish in Chicago. There's a lot of Irish in Pittsburgh, so you know I think we had good representation come over. So I think it was great for the city. I think that it'd be great if we could do something like that again. Um, but no, I got I got to stand on the sideline there, and I was. You know, I had this new camera at the time, and I was trying to take some cool pictures of Cordell Stewart and Greg Lloyd and guys like that. So, um, now it, it was really cool seeing seeing you know 
the colors out in the field uh, in Dublin. And I suppose for you watching, I mean, I was looking recently at kind of the sack leaders in the NFL over the, the years, and the Steelers are repeatedly there or thereabouts. Yeah. But obviously, offensive weapons, you've had those too with, with yeah. success you've had. Like on a personal level, do you have a preference? Do you, do you watch, prefer watching a great defense, or is it offensive football that you find more exciting, Tom? I, I think, you know, Pittsburgh has sort of like this chip on its shoulder mentality and blue collar and our football team really exemplified like, you know, the toughness of a good defense that can sack the quarterback, but also a pounding running game. And I think, you know, if people criticize anything that's been going on with our team lately, it's we've kind of gotten away from that running aspect, although our first round draft pick, I think, is the best running back in the draft. And you might see us go back to that. I don't think you, you can honestly see us throw as much as we did last year and, uh, and, and have any kind of success. The formula that Pittsburgh's always had is strong defense and a strong running game that actually controls the clock. Mm -hmm. And you, you're not desperate at the end of the game to try to get the ball back two or three more times to try to come back. Like You control the tempo of the game by the defense and you know the, the offense giving the defense a bit of a rest by getting first downs and running the football and eating up the clock. I and mean, that's kind of been our MO over the years. And so hopefully we get back to that. But a, a, a lot of what you said was um, you know, based, started by a guy named Dick LeBeau, who was our defense coordinator for a long time, who did the 3-4 defense. And um, you know, we'd have the kind of blitzing I don't know if if you if we were the first ones that you know you'd see cornerbacks blitzing or or safeties coming up and blitzing, but you know certainly when when you see a cornerback coming off of the edge and the quarterback doesn't see him, it's just like you're about to you know you're about to win at the slot machines. It's like here it comes, and it's great. So and and nothing gets the fans going more in Pittsburgh than sacking the quarterback. So. Tom, that, that brings me to my question in terms of expectations for the upcoming season. Last year, Steelers were 11-0 and detailed away. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people felt they were in a, a misposition as such that they weren't really worthy of the number one pick. And this year, a lot of people are still high in the Ravens. The Browns, in fact, seem to be the, kind of the hot team for everybody in terms of they got to the playoffs, they beat the Steelers. They gave the Chiefs a really, really good game in the divisional round and feel that they'll get stronger this year. And not a lot of people are talking about the Steelers, just the Concern no. over the offensive line being repatched together. Is Big Ben going to hold up for an entire season? What's your general thoughts? Yeah, you know, just on paper, going into the season with the defense that we've had the last couple of years, which has been very good, it, it, those guys are just getting more mature and more seasoned and gelling more and more. I can't imagine that our defense will be anything but in the top five defenses because we have been. We really, you know... And if we've lost guys, you know, we've got uh, Bush coming back in at middle linebacker who was hurt basically all of last year. You know, we'll see who one of our edge rushers turns out to be, but a guy named Highsmith did a pretty good job filling in last year uh, after Dupree got hurt. So I think our defense is going to be very, very good. So check that box. Yes, the offensive line was has been retooled, but our offensive line last year, there is a reason why Big Ben was taking a three-step drop and throwing those short passes. It's because that's all he had time to do. A lot of those plays Big Ben called himself. So, you know, he knows the guys up front. 
and how much time he has. And one of the reasons we didn't run the football was because we tried to, you know, we had this philosophy that, uh, well, we've got four running backs out there that are basically playing wide receiver. And if you just get them the ball right now, that's basically making a running play, but out there instead of right behind yeah. the line. But also keep in mind that the reason why you do that is because maybe you can't open holes with that line. So retooling the line might actually be a positive thing. And we've got a lot of young guys that are on that line. And quite frankly, you know, the, the lifespan of an NFL player anymore with just the level of, of play and speed and strength and size, you, you don't see guys playing too many more than 10 years anyway. So especially running backs. But um, so all of our wide receivers are back, including Juju. And uh, I think, you know, we got a good young tight end from Penn State in the draft and then big big you know if you look at the nfl last year and you guys can help me with this if, if you look at the players that are the teams that made the playoffs uh you look who their quarterback was with brady aaron Rodgers, philip rivers uh big ben i i think that there you know, and then you had the guy from buffalo and you had baker mayfield but i think there might have been one more but the common theme is you got to have a really good quarterback and a quarterback that can get you to the dance being the playoffs. And it's, it's no surprise that those same five or six guys always seem to make the playoffs. It's because they have the ability to get the team where they need to be. So, you know, you're one of those seeds in the playoffs. Then once you're one of those seeds in the playoffs, anything can happen as we've always seen. I don't know that we'll win our division, but you know, Tomlin's never had a losing season and Big Ben has basically always got us to the playoffs. Now, we got to take it to the next step, but I, I like our team. I'm not, and I'm not just, and I do, I do like that people aren't talking about us. That's a good thing. Yeah. I like that Baker Mayfield's getting all this attention right now. Now, <laughs> now you got to back it up. But, but I mean, you, you did start last season 10-0. and 0. It wasn't like it was a bad team last year. It just didn't finish the way they would no, have liked. And, and honestly, what happened was, we became so predictable as to what we were going to do that there was no surprise that those four wideouts that we were just doing those quick passes to, teams will figure out how to defend that. So when you take that away and we don't have a running game, it's basically like yeah, you can't win. And, 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 and hopefully for the Steelers fans, now Jay Harris coming in is going to make yeah, that difference. Absolutely. You, and, and, and for Big Ben's health too. I mean, he can't, he can't be dropping back there like that whether it just be getting hit or you know wearing out his arm throwing it as much as he he did last year that i don't know if that's sustainable you need to have multiple elements obviously when you have a good running game the defense sort of tightens up it, because they have to stop the run and that frees up stuff outside better so um you know hopefully with Najee coming in and, and big ben looking good coming into camp and looking healthy he says his arm feels great um I'll give you one more quick example. You know, one of the reasons why the Ravens have had trouble moving on in the playoffs, because Lamar Jackson is great. And, but what, what defenses or teams in the playoffs have figured out, he doesn't throw outside very much. Everything's right down the middle, five yards, 10 yards, 20 yards, or he'll take off and run. So if you take away the middle against the Ravens and he doesn't go outside and you got a good spy on him, then Baltimore is in trouble. And so you, know, you, you see the cream rise to the top when you get to the playoffs. And so and it, was, it was the safety in the playoff game for the Buffalo Bills who intercepted uh, 
his pass through the middle and yeah. went and returned it for a pick yeah. six. So, yeah, yeah it, it became very one-dimensional. He, he is, but apparently he's got more of a perimeter pass game going this year, but we'll see. We'll, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. <laughs> Tom, I, I can't help but reflect on the fact you're saying the NFL basically got started by five guys at the race course. I mean, that sounds like an Irish story if ever I heard one, to be honest. That's probably most Irish businesses. But you mentioned Dick LeBeau, someone who deservedly in my mind belongs in the Hall of Fame, obviously for all he's contributed there. Um, an amazing secondary coach for many, many years, uh, many decades in fairness. Yeah. But when I think of the Steelers franchise as well, and I think of the consistency, like, it doesn't seem immaterial that the Steelers are always there or thereabouts, and you've only had three head coaches in 50 years, two of which are already in the Hall of Fame, of course, in Coach Cowher and Coach Noel. I mean, as a, not only a fan, but as you know, part of the family that's owned the Steelers and you've been around the team an awful lot, I mean, how important has that sense of consistency and delivery of those key three leaders been over the years? It's huge because, you know, you need to send a message not only to the coaching staff, the team, but the city that this is the way that we do business. If we hire you to be our head coach or we hire you to be our general manager and then we fire you a year later, that means that we're not very good at hiring people. And that's the philosophy we've had. Like you can have a down year. I think Chuck Knoll's first year, he won one game which allowed us to have some pretty high draft picks that he picked and through along with my uncle Art, who was our head scout at the, at the time, to get that team that became the 70s dynasty. But, um, and it's not just with football. I mean, like, you know, I think that I try to raise my kids and my, my dad tried to raise us to sort of live by a certain code and act a certain way where it's not just emotional or spur of the moment or, you know, you have to have a long view and you're right. We've only had three coaches over the years, and I think I won't name this coach by name or where he coached, but he was an NFL coach in our division who I met not too long ago, and he lasted one or two seasons with this team. And he said, <laughs> he said if I could have coached anywhere, it would have been with the Steelers because I know that I would have been able to have a couple years, uh, lean years, to be able to sort of build the team I want. Um, yeah, the, these teams that, and I, I don't want to judge other teams or, or be critical because certainly there's different philosophies, but I don't think that there's any secret that if you are going through coach after coach after coach, maybe the problem is you. And, uh, and, and if, you, if you're not surrounding that person with good people, then um, it, it almost makes it they're kind of always looking over their shoulder that they're about to get yanked and, and fired. And I don't think that's a way to run any kind of business, whether it's a football team or a pub or whatever. I mean, the people you hire is a reflection of you. And uh, we, we've been very lucky, though, with, with Noel and Cower and Tomlin um, to be able to just have consistency. Another interesting fact is for a long time there since the 60s, we only had like three centers too. We had like Mike Webster, Dermani Dawson, and Pouncey. And there might be a couple other centers, but you know, our centers have all been like, you know, over, yeah, which is obviously the anchor of the offensive line, but. Yeah. It's, uh, it's 12.30, we'll be trying to do one more round each. Mark, do you want to round up at the end? Just see if you're, Mark's very good at rounding up, he can do like a real <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> right, anyway. Um, Obviously now, and this is the really good thing for the future of the NFL, both in the US and overseas. I was talking with a Giants player, these boys don't know this, on Friday night, and he was talking about, 
he works in a marketing role for the team and he was talking about the fact that the Giants want to develop in a different in, in a certain country I'm not saying what the country is but they want to develop marketing opportunities there potentially have a game in that country once or once a year or once every two or three years for you both as in the Rooney family and as a fan of the Steelers how would you imagine the future relationship with you know Ireland's team I guess between the Steelers and Ireland do you think it would be realistic to think maybe someday we might be able to have a regular season game in Cook Park or is that the dream I hope so I mean I you know I think that the league has you know, tried experimenting with the NFL Europe and, you know, with the games uh, in London. And, you know, you hear rumors about maybe Jacksonville moving over there at some point. Um, I don't know how true those rumors are, but I've never heard what you just said where a specific team might just want to have kind of a, a relationship mm -hmm. with another city and, and be able to have a game there every year or, or whatever I certainly think it's doable I mean obviously we've we've shown we can do it by playing a game in London every year so but for an individual team to say hey our second adopted city is Dublin or another team to say it's Munich or something like that I think it's absolutely possible and I think that that's a great idea look the NFL is about making money yeah. and if they figure that they can open up this market and and be able to capitalize on that they'll do it and um, and so I really like that idea. I've never heard that before. That's a great idea. Time will tell. Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> I, I'll have some conversations when I get out of here. The the league is is definitely about making money, but I think for the Roonies, it, it's about more than that. I mean, the commitment to service that you've shown, I suppose, in terms of serving the government, serving in the military, your family, and also I'm thinking about like the the, the, the Rooney rules, the way in which the, the Steelers brought that into to the league. Maybe you could talk, I suppose, just a little bit in terms of the the family and the way in which I suppose that that you know commitment to service was instilled and, and how that has impacted on the franchise. Yeah, I you know, and, and, and my uncle being ambassador here, as I said before, I think that, you know, certainly you kind of live by that code of, you know, to those who have been given so much you sort of owe in return. And um and and you know, we've had the opportunity, I think a lot of people in my family have had the opportunity to serve. And, um, but I also, I also have watched my grandfather and watched my uncle and watched my cousins and how they conduct themselves. And when I was in Congress, I definitely tried to um, act a certain way so that I wasn't embarrassing them. It wasn't just about me or my immediate family, it was about the Rooney family. You're absolutely right. I mean, you, you have a responsibility not to screw that up. They, they took years and lifetimes to build a certain kind of legacy about who we are. And I, I certainly didn't want to, when I was in the public eye at home, I, I didn't want to do anything to screw that up. I came close a few times, but... Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's, it, it's hard with social media and everything, everybody following everything that you do and say. To, but it's a good thing to, you know, when I try to instill in my kids, like, you know, anything you put on social media, anything you put out there is out there. And, and, and people will attack you. And you can also let attacks go. You know, I think another thing that my, my uncle and my cousin especially have done very well in the age of social media is if you read anything on Twitter about the Steelers, we're the worst team in the world, and it's mostly from Steeler fans, you know, that we're, we're, we're going to be horrible this year. You never see us respond because then you're playing down to that level and you're, uh, you're, you're going to do nothing but go down a rabbit hole you can't get out of. So, um, 
Yeah, I think there is a standard mm -hmm. that, that hopefully, you know, we all try to live up to and, and um, you know, keep that reputation going. Tom, there's been a, a story going around Dublin and across Ireland for many years around when your uncle was in this position as ambassador, 4th of July, Independence Day, football, NFL, uh, American football games in the back garden with players flown over to be involved. Is, is there any truth to that story? Yeah, no, they had, they had a, a touch football game that was not touch. I can tell you that because <laughs> my, my cousins played it. I was invited to play in it, but I could never come over because I was in Washington. But uh, my cousins would always say when they were done playing in that game, they couldn't get out of bed for like a week. So it wasn't very touch football. I mean, they were actually hitting each other. But um, no, that was a cool thing that, you know, he'd have like that uh, backyard, I guess you could say, over there uh, where they'd, ha they'd put up goalposts and they'd have referees and everything. Um, so that was kind of cool. Uh, Tom, we've been very fortunate on the Irish NFL show. We've had, you know, Hall of Famers. We've had the, the cream of NFL media, lots of current and former players. But uh, on behalf of the guys, I'd say it's a pleasure having you over, pleasure having a representative from the Rooney family, someone who's done so much for the game, for the development of it. I know Colm alluded to the family service and the Team F values that really we all see embedded throughout the Steelers. So thank you to you so much for your time and to your family for everything you've done for the Steelers and for the NFL overall. And we really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to welcome a guy that led his team out at Croke Park in 1997, Coach Bill Kyer to the Irish NFL show. Coach, a very warm welcome. Hey, good to be here. Uh, Coach, have you any heritage yourself to Ireland outside of your involvement with the Steelers? Well, I, I, Dan Rooney has been my mentor, like a father to me. So if you, I'm not blood related to the Rooney's, but uh, if you were in the Rooney's for 15 years, that's family. And yes, so that's my connection to Ireland. Coach, I, I know you, you were going to get to that game in, in Dublin at some point, but if we can take you back to, you know, look, you're, you're a Hall of Fame, you're a legend uh, on both sides of the Atlantic, I can tell you, uh, for your time with the Steelers. But let's take you back to your, your playing days because you didn't begin with, with the Steelers. Can you talk to us about, um, you know, what it was like uh, for you as a player and, and were there lessons that you took from your time as a player that you brought into um, your coaching? Yeah, you know, ironically, I, I grew up like four miles from Heinz Field. Then it was Three River Stadium. So the suburbs of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, introduced to football at a very early age, 10 years old. And a lot of the lessons, a lot of the values that I was taught by my father and my parents, uh, I still live by today. We, he was, we were a hardworking family. I always had a job from the time I was eight years old on, from a paper boy to working in the steel mills to working in a nursery. Um, I did it all. I was a boilermaker at one point through the time of college. But, um, you know, I had values instilled. My father taught me three things very early in life. Uh, never quit if you quit. Um, uh, once you'll quit again. He said, the other thing is you have to work harder than the other person. So he taught me about a work ethic and so much what you're willing to sacrifice is things, the little things you do when nobody else is looking. And the last thing he talked to me about, which I thought was very important is never be intimidated by anyone or anything. Self-confidence. It's hard for others to have confidence in yourself. If you don't have confidence in yourself, it's hard for, it's hard for others to have confidence in you. So those values took me through a college career at NC state um, I played down there, was not drafted in the NFL. I went as a free agent to the Philadelphia Eagles in 1979. I got cut. 
went back down, got in school, got my degree. It was a graduate assistant at that time. And I decided to give it one more chance in 1980 and actually made the Cleveland Browns as a undrafted free agent uh, off the street. And I played five years in the National Football League. And so I was one of those guys that to me, it was about being resilient, um, not being defined by how many times that you had failures, but to continue to believe in something, have a passion for it, but be realistic about it as well. So, you know, I was not the fastest or most athletic player, but I was very cerebral. I was able to understand different positions. I love the game of football, the strategical part of it, especially. And so um, I was able to translate that into a coaching career. Coach, you took the unusual step to retire at the age of 28 to take up a coaching position under the late Marty Schottenheimer, who passed away earlier this year. Can you talk to us about your experience initially with the Browns before moving to the Chiefs with him and what he was like to be around? Yeah, you know, I, Marty did talk me out of it. It was, it was funny. I was 1984. I was the special teams captain for the Philadelphia Eagles coming off, you know, one of my best years in 1983, but he got hurt in the fourth game of the season in 84. And Marty had just taken over the job in Cleveland. He was trying to put together his staff for the next year as he was finishing up that season. It asked me if I want to get into coaching. I'd never coached before. Um, I'd played for him. I think he knew I was a smart guy. I was a good special teams player. I was one of those guys that was resilient, that uh, could learn a lot of different things, had a great work ethic. And so, you know, he asked me how much I was going to make the following year in 1985. And I told him, and he says, well, if you want to come here, you're going to make three times as less and work three times harder. But, you know, um, I saw so much for negotiating with that. So, um, but at the same time, I did know it was an opportunity to get into a profession I could do the rest of my life. You know, as a, as a football player, it's a period of time. And certainly as a special teams player, which is what I was, I used to take it one year at a time. So it really was a no-brainer. And so I went to, to Marty, uh, again, having never coached before, but understanding the game and I coached for two years the special teams. He moved me to the secondary. And then we went to Kansas City. I followed him out there and spent three years with him. So he was the only coach, head coach, that I ever coached for. And seven years with him. And then, obviously, the opportunity to come to Pittsburgh came in 1992. And, you know, I was able to, to, to take that and join the Rooney family. As I've said before, if there's two people that are mentors to me, it's Marty Schottenheimer and Dan Rooney. Coach, Coach Schottenheimer, of course, one of the all-time greats, over 200 wins, eighth on the all-time list for the NFL. And when you left him, you left him to then, I mean, take on quite a monumental task. I mean, let's face it, you were replacing Coach, Ch Coach Chuck Noll. I mean, he is one of the faces on the Mount Rushmore of NFL coaches across the history of the NFL, if you like. And obviously, it's an oft-repeated fact of uh, life that there's only been three Steelers coaches in the Super Bowl era yourself, Coach Tomlin and Coach Noll. I'm just wondering about your feelings at 34, a very young man really taking over the keys to the kingdom there in the Steelers. Um, you know, what were your thoughts at the time? What was your interaction with Coach Noll about, either at the time or since? How did that all progress? Well, when I was offered a job by Dan Rooney, when I went back in for my, my second interview, when we talked numerous amount of times uh, that January, and uh, when he offered me the job, uh, I remember my wife had come in with me. We had dinner with the Rooney family. And I obviously called my parents as soon as I got done and who were obviously still living in Pittsburgh. My brothers were in Pittsburgh. Like I said, I went to high school there. So I went back to Kansas City. I remember laying in bed. I'm going, wow, if I don't screw this up in three years, I can go back to my hometown team on my 20th class reunion as a head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
So my first thought was, if I don't get fired in the first three years and go back to my high school class reunion 20th and be the head coach of the hometown team. So I was just in all of it. And I didn't really think about following Chuck Knoll. And quite frankly, we really didn't have much conversation. I was on a plane at one point with him and I tried to pick his brain about it. And what's it like in the building? What's the dynamic like in the building working for the Rooney's? It's good. It's fine. Okay. It is, is what about the personnel department? How'd you work with them? They work just fine. How were you staying? So I would get all these short answers, but there was nothing really definitive and no information was given to me. And so I sat there and realized at some point that he did not give me anything because he didn't want me to form any prejudgments. Um, you got to figure it out yourself and be yourself. That's why they're bringing you in from the outside to come in. And so as I left it to Mike Tomlin, as you talked about three coaches in 52 years, um, I said, um, you know, what, what advice did you give to Mike? And I said, the same advice that Chuck Knoll gave me, none. Um, you have to figure it out yourself. Don't go in there with any prejudgments. They're bringing you in because they want an influx of new thoughts, new ideas. That's the one thing about the Rooney family. Their leadership starts at the top. They understand, you understand the culture, you understand the expectation, but what they also give you is an opportunity to grow as a coach and grow as a person. If you think about the three coaches, we all came there in our very early 30s. We're all 34, 33 years old. And so we had opportunities to go there and they took us in as family. Doesn't mean you can't make hard decisions. Doesn't mean that you're not thinking forward and they don't hold you accountable. But at the same time, the one thing about the Rooney family is there's a core value. It's about family. It's about community. It's about doing the right thing as Dan Rooney always talked about. And so those are the things that were instilled upon me. And, you know, like I said before, I, I went there at the age of 34, a brass young coach. When I left at the age of 49, I wasn't just a better coach. I was a better person because of the core values that the Rooney family had. You know, it's really awesome to hear your thoughts on the Rooney family, especially where we are and the, the links to Ireland that the Rooney family have. You've obviously recently been presented with the inaugural uh, Dan Rooney Award from the Ireland Fund. So congratulations from us to yourself Thank there, you. Coach. Um, look, to us, we're obviously fortunate now. We have a few games a year in London, a few games. I mean, it was a big deal to have one 10 years ago. But for us now, I think having a game in Ireland would be the maximum for us. And, you know, you guys were the last team to come over here in 1997 albeit for a preseason game what was that experience like for you was it pretty cool to play a game in Ireland and I'm sure you would love to do it again or at least be in the CBS booth if, if, if I, I guess if it ever happened again well listen it was 1997 we had just been to the playoffs five straight years six straight years or five straight years and you know the last thing as a head coach to be quite honest with you I don't want another preseason game we have a veteran team. We don't need to do this. But for Mr. Rooney, we're playing in Dublin. And this was a big deal. So we were playing the Chicago Bears. We were practicing against them. We never play our starters in a fifth preseason game. So I was going to a luncheon on Thursday afternoon. This is a true story. And we go to Dublin. And they talk about that this is the big deal for Ireland. And I, they said, I sat there. It was, it was me. I was getting ready to go back to a meeting. It was me, Pat Rooney, and Dan Rooney, Mr. and Mrs. Rooney. And they talk about, the McCaskies were on the other side, you have this very nice piece of crystal that will go to the winner. And we all know what crystal is like from Ireland. And all of a sudden, I saw standing right next to it, I hear Pat say to Dan, you know, Dan, that crystal would look really well in the trophy uh, back at Three Rivers Stadium in the trophy case. And I'm thinking, okay. And then Mr. Rooney, I get this little nudge right in the side. 
And he looks up at me. I go, gotcha. So I went back after we left that. And I went back. I pulled in my two offensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, and my defensive coordinator. I said, listen, guys, this was on Thursday. I said, the starters are going to start the game. They go, what are you doing? We said the starters weren't going to start. We're not going to play these guys. It says, no, no, the starters are going to start. We're going to put a few more plays in an offense, a few more plays in a defense. What? Because we never show anything in the preseason. I said, listen, Mrs. Rooney wants that piece of crystal. And I saw the look on Dan's face. He wants to make her happy. We are not going to lose this game. So we went into the, that first preseason game, which was our fifth, with the intention of not losing to the Chicago Bears because Mrs. Rooney won that piece of crystal, which still exists today, in the trophy case at Heinz Field. So – that tells you how important it was to them. If it was important to them, it was important to me. Oh, I, and, and that was, I think, the, you know, ju just one of the, uh, the trophies you were to collect during your time with the, uh, the, the Steelers. I mean, what you may have been young, as you mentioned, when you took over, Coach Carver, but your first six seasons, uh, you go to the, the postseason. I think a record which is only equal by Paul Brown. Um, and then at 38, you lead your team to the Super Bowl, um, taking on that, you know, dynastic Cowboys team, um, you know, and, and that season hadn't started out so well. I think three, you were three and four at one point, but you make the Super Bowl. You ran them closer than anyone else. And long before Sean Payton and Ambush, you know, you called a surprise onside kick. Can you talk <laughs> to us a little bit about that, about that uh, Super Bowl? Yeah, it was, it's, it's ironic because I think when you look at the two Super Bowls that I was at, the one in Super Bowl 30 and 95 and 2005-40, we, we reached pivotal points. And that you're right, we were three and four. And that last loss that we had came on a Thursday night against the Cincinnati Bengals at home. And it was an embarrassing loss. And I remember going back into practice that next week, and I said, you know what, we're going to reassess this whole thing. I don't like the way we're playing. Um, I don't like the, our, our identity. We, we, I'm not sure what it is right now. We reeled off eight straight wins. And it was in that course where I think, again, you go back and the same thing happened in 2005. We got backed into a corner. And at some time, you have to sit back and define who you are and make a statement about where you're at. And we had a bunch of guys who just believed in what we were doing. They committed themselves to it. And we just got better and better. It's ironic because that, that year with three and four, we got behind in all these games. So we start going to this no huddle offense. And we were putting Cordell Stewart at the time. We moved him over to wide receiver, made him a receiver, brought him into the game. We kind of did this spread offense and it kind of became a little bit of our identity. And we went up against the Cowboys. I always remember that, that Super Bowl 30 that Michael Irvin, Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, you know, they were America's team and they were going into practices and chauffeurs and, we just had a little yellow school bus that would take us to practice with our, with our, with our pads on little old team from Pittsburgh. That was the mantra I was selling all, all week about that one, but we did have a chance. We had a chance going to the fourth quarter. We got the onside kick, Bam Moore scored. We got within three points and then we had an interception that kind of throttled the next drive. But I was so proud of that team and, um, and what we have done and what we brought back was a little bit of that Steeler nation, a little bit of the pride back to Pittsburgh and, it had been 16 years since the last time they'd been to a Super Bowl. So that was special. I did not realize it would be 10 years later before we'd go back. But at the same time, I think that started the kind of rejuvenation of, uh, of what the Pittsburgh Steelers was all about, bringing it back a little bit of that tradition that Chuck Noll built in the 70s. 
Oh, you, you say 10 years to, your, I suppose, your return to the Super Bowl and there were some frustrating defeats in that time, AFC Championship games against the Chargers, the Broncos, twice against the Patriots. Finally, me getting to the promised land in the 2005 season and being the sixth seed, the first ever team to, to win the Super Bowl after the sixth seed. And some great storylines that season, Big Ben's tackling in Indianapolis, Jerome Bettis, the bus going back to Detroit. Your reflections on that season when you look back? Well, I, I, I go back to, like I said, about the 95 season, that three and four, embarrassed at home by the Cincinnati Bengals. Ironically, that game, that year in 2005, we were preseason favorites. Ben Roethlisberger, we were 15 and one the previous year. Now he's in his second year, pretty much the same team coming back. We added some parts to it. And then we found ourselves sitting there losing three straight games in the middle of the season. And we're seven and two. Now we're seven and five. And our last loss, again, at home, to the Cincinnati Bengals. And so we have to win four games just to get in. Everybody counted us out, said that, you know, here we lived off our last year, think it's going to happen again. We get into the playoffs as a number six seed, and then all you hear about the fact is no number six seed has ever gone to a Super Bowl, let alone win a championship. So if you think they're going to go anywhere, you know, it, they're going to be one and done at the most, or they'll probably go out in the first round. Well, like you said, we went on the road. We beat Cincinnati, who we had lost to the first, uh, the last loss that we had was our first game. Then we go into Indianapolis, and you talk about Jerome Bass going back to Detroit. Remember that big fumble that he had? Benz makes the the, uh, the the tackle to save the game, and then Vanderjack misses a kick, and I think he had made almost four, 15 or 17 in a row going into that. We go to Denver, which was probably our best game, on the road, three in a row, and we played at Denver, and we gonna go to the Super Bowl, and then Jerome goes back to Detroit. So it was a remarkable run. But again, I go back to the same thing. When you get pushed into a corner, when you're forced to have to identify who you are as a person, the character of what you are made out of, it forces you then to maybe be reflective, and be, to look in the mirror, and be selfless, and to do things together. And that's the two things I would take away from both those teams. We were both backed into a corner. We were both sat there and dealt with adversity and we did not let the adversity define who we were. And we went on to do some things. We finished the job in 2005, did not in 1995, but both those teams had a resiliency about them, a belief about them, a closeness about them, the camaraderie that we had, the brotherhood that we had, the trust that we had, because you can't do anything without trust. And so that year was a special year and certainly be able to hand Dan Rooney that Number one, one for the thumb, the elusive one for the thumb, which had been 26 years since the last win, um, was one of the most gratifying uh, times in my, my, my life, to be quite honest with you, because he had believed in me and I gave it to him in my 14th year of coaching. And coach, you mean you, you trusted Antoine Randall to recoup his days as a college quarterback in the most pivotal moment of that Super Bowl against the number one seeds and massive favorites, the Seattle Seahawks. You ran off so many times and fantastic accomplishment by you, your coaching staff, that whole band of men together. Um, coach, you'd be remiss of me not to mention your, your fantastic memoir, actually, Heart and Steel, which I was reading recently and obviously takes readers on that whole myriad of your experience in the NFL, that whole myriad of the Super Bowl journeys, but also your life, um, obviously, you know, your, your experience with your late wife and your, your daughters, et cetera. And like really an insight into your whole career, your whole philosophy as a man and everything. It's fantastic. Uh, read generally. And I heartily recommend it to everyone. 
But one of the things that also struck me reading through it is, Coach, you're like the Kevin Bacon of the NFL. You're connected to everybody. There's no six degrees of separation from Coach Cowher. You know, as a, as a player, I mean, you broke Jeff Fisher's leg when you were a player. You were so there, and you've been in the media for so long as well. And one thing I wonder, I mean, your head coaching tree, effectively, by my count, you've had nine coaches who were assistant coaches under you that have gone on to be head coaches. And this still continues to the current day. You know, whether it's the new David Culley just taken over the Houston Texans or should we say the older in Bruce Arians, obviously Super Bowl 55 winning Bruce Arians, we should say. What's your reflections on what you've left behind in terms of that coaching tree and, and maybe in relation to Bruce in particular, given your time with him as your Oakland coordinator? Yeah, and don't forget Mike Brable. Mike Brable, I drafted Mike Brable out of Ohio State. and What he's done down in Tennessee right now, one of, again, another AFC favorite. And, um, and Bruce, you know, we go back to coaching together back in Kansas City and, uh, you know, with, with Marty Schottenheimer, again, he plays trees bigger than mine when you, when you start talking about the people that have kind of gone off and done their own things. And Marty has four head coaches that have won Super Bowls, uh, myself, Tony Dungy, uh, Bruce Arians and uh, there's 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 one more in there but I but he's um, you know I, I think again you know I, I, I was blessed I, I went right from playing to coaching at the age of 28 in the National Football League I've been in the National Football League for 42 years now on the other side of it as an analyst for CBS and you know my my thing about the NFL is it, it is like a family. And I was blessed to, to 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 have Marty Schottenheimer as a mentor and to go to the Rooney family. You know I stepped down at the age of forty nine. It's well documented in my book uh, Heart and Steel, and I did it for family reasons. Um, and I think everybody understands that. Uh, you know my wife was not in a good place and uh, and eventually died three years later due to cancer. But um, I I got into being an analyst right now and. Um, I've been able to enjoy life and also look at it from the other side of it and try to give my insights to it. And I think when you look at the coaches that have coached for me, the one thing they'll, they'll tell you is I, I will hold people accountable. I said the thing about coaching, there's three things that people, that, that players want. They want structure. They want to have some degree of structure. Give me a routine because we're all products of, you know, of, of routine. We all want a routine. Tell us what it's going to be on this certain day. So I get instruction. Give me direction. And so we had systems in place that were proven systems. And certainly you have to earn that. You can show that you, know, you earn people's trust. You earn credibility by showing it what you're giving them, the direction you're giving them has the ability to be successful. But the most important thing, the third thing that I always did was I held people accountable, myself included. It started with me first. And it goes down to the coaching staff and it went right down to the players. So if you can hold people accountable for what they're doing, ask people to be selfless, to accept whatever role they may be, they have and recognize that along the way, you're going to be tweaking things. Every year is different. Um, it's a philosophy that can be, that still works in today's game. I mean, I learned so much from Bill Parcells, watching him use the media. I learned so much from Bill Belichick, who I'm good friends with today, his humility and the way that he's another guy like myself. You know, we love strategizing. You know, Bill and I always were defensive guys and we did the blitz zone before the blitz zone was even being used. And so um, I love the element of the game. It's like the ultimate chess match. But at the same time, you're dealing with people and you have to be able to get people to buy into it. You got to have people to be able to accept the roles that you ask them to do. So there's a little bit of give and take that you have to have. And I was just being me, uh, being blessed, a guy who's never given anything. I had to work for everything I've had, but I had a lot of opportunities that other people didn't have. 
the one thing I never did was buy, bypass an opportunity. I, met, I took advantage of each and every one of them. So, um, you know what? What you see is what you get with me. I wore my emotions on my sleeve. I loved what I was doing. I love to compete, very passionate about it, love winning. But at the same time, it's still about making sure you deal with people and making sure that you don't lose the sight that these aren't just players, they're people. And I think every one of the players that played for me will tell you that I always looked at them as people first, as players second. Coach, we've got one sort of last question each quickly here. I just want to say, while Mark mentioned that, and, and, and you mentioned it as well, the good thing about books is it's worldwide. You can get uh, Heart and Steel from Amazon UK and Ireland as well, next day delivery. So seriously, check it out if you're watching or listening to the show. Uh, I ordered it the other day and I'm looking forward to reading it this weekend. So thank you for that, guys. But my one is this, JB uh, at CBS, Coach actually presented that game in Dublin in 1997 for a different network. You have a very good chemistry on screen. How did you find that transition? And I'm presuming it's something that you look forward to every September, all summer. Yeah, you know what? It's live. You know, I think that's the one thing that I have not gotten away from. You know, a football game that you play, you don't know how it's going to unfold. You know, it's, it depends on how the first play unfolds. It changes everything else. So it's live. So you get the butterflies before every one of those games. We do live TV. There's nothing taped about it. So I get the butterflies before it. And we do have a great, uh, great chemistry. Boomer and Phil and Nate and then JB and I have been together. Uh, we've been together. I've been there for 15 years. And again, at the same time, when you're doing something that you love to do, you do something that you love to talk about. You're doing with people you like to be around. It's a blessing. You know, it's funny. I said, you think about the last 30 years that I've had in the National Football League. I've been with two organizations. It's been the Pittsburgh Steelers and CBS. But after 15 years, you know, it doesn't become an organization. It becomes your family. So I've been very blessed. And I said this before in my Hall of Fame speech. It's been very nice for me to be able to go, call, go to work and call it my home away from home. Because I love going there. I love the people I'm working with. And I look forward to it each and every Sunday. But you mentioned your Hall of Fame speech there and congrats again to you on, on your recent induction. And in the lead up to the Hall of Fame weekend, we were very fortunate to have David Baker join us. And he shared some kind of great memories and stories about the fun he has had in kind of surprising people uh, and letting them know that they were going to be inducted. And obviously the, the story of when he surprised you uh, on the NFL Today set came up. Um, now, it was, it was a very special moment. I think it resonated with everyone who has seen it. But can you take us back and talk to us a little bit about that? And obviously, you went in to, um, with, you know, so a player you drafted in, Troy Falamalu. So it, was, was that extra special um, that that happened together this year? Yeah, this year, going in there, not just with Troy, but, you know, obviously because of the pandemic, we were pushing the 21 class came in there with us, too. And you had Alan Fanica there as well. So... Pretty amazing in the same weekend to go with two guys that you drafted. Um, that was pretty special to say the least. But I go back to that Saturday night that I uh, uh, I remember on Thursday they had a vote. A new centennial class was coming out. There were two coaches going in. Um, I know I made the finals and I know the vote took place on Thursday. I've tried to call some people I knew and they were telling me, you know, they talked about Tom Flores, Mike, you know, Mike Holmgren. And, got some talk about and, you know, Jimmy Johnson. And so I said, okay, within Friday, I don't hear anything. I wake up Saturday morning getting ready to go into a production meeting because we have the show that Saturday night. And I told my wife, V, I said, you know, V, I don't think I'm getting in. 
I think I would have heard something by now, but I said, I'm okay with that. I don't need validation. I'm fine. My story's out there. It's been told, you know, and, um, and I'm okay with it. I'm just glad I had an opportunity for people to understand, you know, what my resume really is. And so I went in there and I go to the production meeting. I think people are going to ask me if I've heard anything. I go to the production meeting and no one says a word to me. So now I'm thinking, I know I'm not getting in. They're giving me that kind of respectful space. Don't ask them about it. He's probably going to get upset. And so now I'm getting ready to go on the show. And I, know, I know I'm not getting in. And so we go to our eye vision part. They want to do it on the other side of the studio. I go in there and all of a sudden I see Sean McManus and David Burson coming out for the eye vision. We're doing a Lamar Jackson. And I'm thinking, wow, Phil, they want to see how this looked on this side of the, on the show. So I'm looking down my notes. I said, Phil Sims. I said, Phil, let's not screw this up. The bosses are out here. Let's make this a good segment. So I remember we start this segment, and all of a sudden I go, Phil, what about Lamar Jackson? And Phil goes, yeah, but coach, what about David Baker? And I look over, and I saw David Baker, and it was just like everything stopped. Like this, that was not like, I cannot believe this is happening. And I just, all you think about David Baker is a knock on the door. And so I said, David, you should be knocking on a door to do this. He goes, I can leave. I go, no, no, I'm sorry. Come back, come back. I didn't mean to interrupt you just please go ahead and you can talk and I think as he started talking and saying that it just was so overwhelming and I said so funny and I they're saying what do you have to feel and I look over I see my wife V I see my daughter Megan and I'm thinking wow first thing I said and I told my V I said V I can't believe this morning I was telling you I wasn't going to get in and you sat there with a straight face and just said it's okay she goes Honey, I didn't know. They just called me about an hour ago to come down here. So, so they knew our family well enough to know, don't tell them anything early. So no one really knew. And they kept that thing hidden. And I just tell you, I got done talking, went to commercial. I said, Nate, I don't even know what I just said. He goes, no, coach, you were great. You were great. I go, I don't even know. I said, I'm, this is almost surreal. And, and it was. And we came home that night and we had a little toast. We had a little scotch and I said, I got to get ready because we got to do a show again tomorrow. I'm going to do another show tomorrow. And I think I don't know if I even slept that night just thinking, I can't believe this just happened. You know, and so you have all these plans. And then all of a sudden you have to wait two years before you go into the induction. But um, boy, I'll tell you what, those are two great years. Coach, when, when we did interview David Baker, the one thing he did say was he was so proud and honored to be in that room when, when you know, you were there and you were taken by surprise on that morning in CBS. Just looking ahead to the, to the upcoming season, and in particular the NFC Norths, the Ravens and the, the Browns in particular, people are talking very highly of them again. And there's a kind of a feeling that the Steelers are floating under the radar. What's, what's your expectations for this current Steelers team this year? Well, hey, listen, I love it. When you go win 12 games the previous year and they're saying not picking you to be third in your division, I tell you what, I would love to play that card the rest of the time called a little bit of disrespect so i know where ben's at i talked to him saw him in the preseason i know where mike's at talked to him so listen they got an offensive line that's going to have to stay healthy they're going to have to play well they're going to have to come together quickly i love Najee harris i think their defense is going to be solid i love picking up showbert uh, last week for an inside linebacker with devin bush um but again it's a tough division there's no question about it the cleveland browns are knocking on the door we know where they are baker mayfield they may be the best team and we know what kind of uh, obstacle that lamar jackson and the baltimore ravens are and that's always a, a robbery but you know what i would not count out the pittsburgh steelers they got a hall of fame quarterback 
who's playing with a chip on his shoulder. They won 12 games last year. Let's not forget about that. And uh, we'll see how this unfolds, but it should be an interesting year, to say the least. Coach, we uh, talked to Kevin Colbert earlier this week as well, and he kind of indicated that the goal in Pittsburgh every year is to win a Super Bowl, and that's what he did with you and built teams with you for many years, and that's what he's doing with Mike Tomlin or Coach Tomlin, obviously, now uh, consistently as well. And the consistency of the Pittsburgh Steelers and what you, Coach Tomlin, Kevin Colbert, the Rooney family have built is just uh, – it's a pleasure to behold for Pittsburgh fans, but also for NFL fans generally, just to see that amazing consistency. Um, well, it is. And I'll just say one last thing. The one thing I always said about the Rooney family is, you know, they are very, their faith was everything. And um, I understood that very, very early on. And they had a great love and passion for Ireland. That's from the very beginning. The Ireland Fund Dinner is one of the first things I, came, I went to when I came to Pittsburgh. And I realized how important that was to him. Obviously the great ambassador went over there. So to you in Ireland, thank you for your support. I know there's a lot of yellow towels will be waving every Sunday. We, we appreciate that support as well. Absolutely wow. coach. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining us today on the Irish NFL show and uh, wish you all the very best for the season with your CBS team and family. And uh, thank you again for your time. Thanks guys. Got my green on. And we continue with our special Steelers sandwich set of uh, fantastic shows for you. And we joined today with a very by a very special guest. Uh, he probably needs no introduction, but he's going to get one anyway. Raised and born in the shadows of the Three Rivers Stadium, he initially spent 15 years as scout and scouting director with the Dolphins and the Lions. But he's probably best known to NFL fans as being one of the key impresarios behind the creation of the Super Bowl 40 and Super Bowl 43 teams. Uh, originally director of football operations of the Pittsburgh Steelers, he became the first and only general manager in their history. Uh, we are very proud to be joined on the Irish NFL show this morning by the vice president and general manager of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Kevin Colbert. Kevin, pleasure having you on the show, sir. Oh, thank you, guys. It's always, always fun to engage and talk football, especially with our fans over in Ireland. And starting on Ireland, Kevin, um, you know, you grew up in Pittsburgh. You went to a Catholic high school. Have you any Irish heritage, Irish background yourself? Any connections? Yeah, I do. I'm actually one quarter Irish on my mother's side. And the high school that I attended, it was the same high school that Mr. Dan Rooney, Ambassador Rooney, attended as well. So didn't grow up too far from Mr. Rooney's uh, home. And it's um, it's a small town and, and very <laughs> proud to be a member of the high school that we went to, and of course, the steel organization. The, the Rooney is obviously hugely respected uh, on both sides uh, of the Atlantic for incredible uh, contributions, uh, both in the States and, and in Ireland. Um, but maybe, Ken, one of the interesting things, I suppose, in your role uh, with the Steelers, you have worked with two incredible head coaches in Coach Carr and Coach Tomlin. Can you talk to us, I suppose, a little bit about like the relationship between the general manager and, and the head coach and, and give fans a little bit of like what, what's it like on a day to day basis? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think the steel organization has been unique really since Coach Noel was here. We've had three head coaches since 1969, which is unheard of in professional sports. Uh, when I came on board in 2000, of course, Coach Cower was already here. 
We got to work together for seven years, which was really a, a great experience. Obviously, it was a part of his Hall of Fame experience, which he just was inducted this past uh, July. And it was a good working relationship between Coach and I. And I was the newcomer coming in. After Coach decided to retire and move on, you know, we hired Coach Tomlin. And this is our 15th year together. And, you know, when when Coach came on, I was the new guy. So really, we have one. It's a real simple setup of both myself and the coach. We, we answered directly to Mr. Art Rooney. And it's a simplistic um, statement of the organization. It's we're here to win a Super Bowl. And Coach and I are tasked with working together to try to put together the best team we can uh, to win a Super Bowl. There's nothing in between. And we understand that and we accept it because that's standard was set a long time ago with Coach Noel and Coach Cowher. Kevin, last season was a very difficult one across, across the league, in particular for the Steelers. The bye week was moved to week four. You played the Ravens on a Wednesday. The following Monday afternoon, you're playing Washington football team. How have you found, I suppose, coming back to a sense of normality, this particular training camp? Have you found it more enjoyable to see fans coming back to, for the open days again? Yeah, I mean, we're all hoping for normalcy. And, you know, I think we're taking the steps as a league and as an organization to get to that normalcy. Because, as you mentioned, last year was totally a different year, not only for professional football, but for, for life in general across the world. And, and we all had to make adaptations to, to live our lives as best and as safe as we could. And football, of course, was included in that. And we had to... Um, we had to manage uh, moving type target on the schedules uh, and there was nothing you could do about it, but accept it and do the best you could. Uh, we started off good and we didn't finish where we needed to finish. And that, that type of finish is something we're gonna try to avoid, but hopefully it'll be with 65,000 people in the seats and 80,000 or whatever at, a, at an away game screaming at us. So we're, we're all looking forward to getting back to some type of normalcy and we're trying to take the right steps to ensure that. And Kevin, you'll have lots of Steelers fans in Ireland and all around Europe cheering you on as well um, from the comfort of their living rooms, I'm sure, less so at the stadium. Um, look, Kevin, we're very conscious. A key part of the role of the GM and that relationship you have with, with Coach Tomlin, of course, is constructing your roster every year. And you're right, and we really appreciate you taking the time at really a critical part of your team where you're going to be cutting down to your 53-man roster, although you've obviously now got 16 practice squad slots, so a little bit more flexibility there. But a key part of this roster construction is always your rookie class, of course. And the Steelers this year, uh, there are a number of suggestions that Najee Harris might be going to Pittsburgh. Obviously, that came to pass. We had Ed Bouchette on our show, who was extremely complimentary of that move. Just wondering, in your view, what you're seeing from Najee and indeed that whole rookie class at the moment, what are your expectations for them as this season progresses? Well, again, the expectations are that we want them to be contributors to a Super Bowl winning effort. Uh, so far, Najee has shown up and, and done some really good things in the preseason and all three phases of you know being a running back, obviously running a football, catching a football and blocking as well. Uh, Pat Fryermuth, our second rounder, um, is really starting to show up as a receiving tight end in the red zone. He had two touchdowns the other night, and it was important because he's establishing a relationship with, with Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, Kendrick Green, our, our fourth, our third round pick, is, has moved into the starting center role. 
Uh, and it's a new role for him. He didn't play a lot of center in college. He was mostly a guard that played some center. So he's continuing to learn on the fly. But like coach likes to say, he has to get on that moving train and we don't have a lot of time to develop. So he's got to he's got to get ready in a hurry. And then our fourth rounder, uh, Dan Moore, has done a nice job of playing as a backup tackle on both sides of the football. So those those are the top four. They're, they're doing what we expect. The other guys are all lining up and they're pushing for roster spots as well. So, so far, so good. But again, their, their whole purpose is to help us win a Super Bowl. And it's not about any individual accolades. Kevin, Mark mentioned in the, the intro, you are, you are a Pittsburgh native and obviously best known for your successful stint there. And Matt Miller, I think earlier this summer, named you as the top GM in the league. But you began uh, your um, NFL career in Miami under an, uh, another, we're talking about famous um, head coaches, but under another famous head coach, Coach Shula. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and maybe how that time there kind of prepared you for your current role? Yeah, I mean, it was it was very um, I don't want to say overwhelming, but it was sometimes you didn't you didn't believe that you were sitting there in the midst of, you know, one of the greatest, if not the greatest head coach in NFL history, um, you know, with the wins in Coach Shula and Coach Shula was a very matter of fact um, person. Um, he demanded excellence but he you know he would challenge you and if you back down from the challenge he wouldn't have anything for you uh, if you responded to his challenges uh, he respected that but you better have good information when you did do that so I learned at a young age if I was going to have an opinion that I have to back that opinion up with some kind of information and factual information that can substantiate my opinion and I, I think I, I know I learned from that experience and Coach Shula was a great mentor. Uh, of course, Coach Noel had worked for Coach Shula. I, I never worked for Coach Noel. I got to meet him a few times, but that type of influence I think has been passed on and, and really Coach Noel coming from Coach Shula and you know coming into the Steel organization. I think a lot of those same principles were passed along and brought along. So I was very fortunate in those five years with Coach. Kevin, the 2004 draft, I suppose it will always be recognized as the three quarterbacks of Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, and obviously Ben, Big Ben is still playing. The two have since retired. Last year obviously didn't finish in the way you used it hoped after such a successful start going 11 0. And obviously there was speculation whether he would return. He's restructured the contract. He comes back now. He looks re-energized. He looks a different man. What are you seeing from him in, in the camp so far? Do you, you think he's capable of bringing this team onto the playoffs again? Yeah, you know, at the end of last season, um, he came to us uh, within two weeks of the end of the season and said, I want to I want to be back and I, I, I want to play in 2021. And we, we appreciated that. He came to myself. He went to Coach Tom. And of course, he went to Mr. Rooney and he, he stated that. And we all knew that if to do that, he was going to have to take some kind of restructuring of his current contract because of the different salary cap implications coming out of the, uh, the pandemic um, plagued year. And he was willing to do that. So Ben not only talked about wanting to be here, but he made the first concrete step in allowing himself to be here, but also allowing us to have an opportunity to put a team around him that will help him succeed. So only time will tell if we've accomplished that. But so far in this training camp, uh, it's been, 
refreshing to see him not only be here, but be here in the type of shape he's in, the mindset he's in. Uh, he went out and played three series the other night and was successful putting us in, in the end zone twice in those three series. And that was very encouraging. So uh, we like where we are. We like where he is. Now we just have to take those next steps to try to get where we all want to be. Kevin, you mentioned obviously the goal every season is to make that Super Bowl. Um, the Steelers obviously have made it a number of times. You and the Steelers organization over the last 21 years, you've been there, have had remarkable consistency. We, we spoke to Coach Cow this week as well. Obviously, he started his career with the Steelers, six playoff appearances back-to-back. -back. Coach Tomlin has never had a losing season, I believe, if I'm right in saying that. I think he had one eight and eight season, but he's re remarkable consistency during his 15 years working alongside you. But just from your perspective as a general manager, you know, you, you, your job involves so much relationships within the organization, outside the organization, across the board. Is there any part of the season, or I suppose, is there any part of the season, A, that you get to relax would be one question, but is there any part you particularly enjoy in your role? Like, you know, do you particularly enjoy the, the draft and the free agency, you know, constructing something in February and March that comes to fruition? Or do you enjoy it really just when it's football season and you're in the flow of things? What's the what's the best part of it for you? And, and indeed, do you ever get a break, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, we do get a break. You know, we really shut the organization, shuts down after our mini camp in June and picks up again in mid-July. So we have a month where we can all kind of regroup. And there, there's many different points during that 11-month period uh, where there's where there's where there are the highs and of course the lows that go along with it but what what I really enjoy um, from the scouting process is you know we all watch video we watch games um, we watch practices but when we first get to meet those young men and 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 see the person under the helmet that's very enjoyable for me I know it is for coach Tom and it was for coach Cower uh, we love meeting the young men and, and finding out about them as people in addition to players because it all comes into making up who they are and how they can help us win. The, the second thing I really enjoy, obviously we enjoy a win, but you can enjoy a win for about 24 hours and then you got to move on and try to get it again. So those are, those are little, you know, enjoyable experiences during the season. But when you see um, young players under, come to understand what it means to win here, uh, even a game or a, a division game or a playoff game, but especially when they reach that pinnacle and they win a Super Bowl, uh, it's something that you always remember. The flip side of that is when we lost that Super Bowl, it's something you never forget because um, there's some players like a Flozell Adams, who was with us just for that season. We knew that was his last football game, and, and we ended up on the disappointing side of it. So you remember, when you win it, you remember how special it is, and that's that's why only winning it counts, and there's nothing else that will ever satisfy that. But seeing those young folks achieve that and accomplish that for the first time, that's very um, enjoyable and, and reinforcing for us. And one final question, because it is the, the Irish NFL show, I, a few years before your uh, stint with the Steelers, but back in 1997, they famously played a preseason game against the Bears in Dublin. Obviously a huge event uh, here. I was at it myself. Uh, you, you, I, it was, you, Dublin was a sea of terrible towels. 
Is that something that at some point in the future we might see again? May we see the Steelers come back for a preseason game at some point? You know what, Colm, I wish I could answer that, but that's, that's, that's way above my pay grade. And that's something that the, the National Football League, of course, in conjunction with whoever they would decide to bring over, um, that would be that type of endeavor. You know, we haven't done the preseason games in Europe for a while. Uh, whether or not that returns, I don't know. I know we will be back in the in the London region, not us particularly, but uh, the NFL will be back, and that's encouraging. We want to continue to grow the game. It's huge. We, you know, sometimes we get caught up in our own little world and we forget about we have fans that that only get to see us um, via the television or the internet or whatever. Um, but it's great to, you know, even to interact with you guys today, it reinforces that the fact that this is a pretty big game. Um, again, sometimes we, we're just focused on getting ready for Carolina in this pre, last preseason game, and we don't understand how big this game is internationally. Um, our, 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 our National Football League does, of course, the organization does. I know it would please a lot of people to be able to do those types of things, but I wish I could make that call for you, but I'm, I'm not quite at that level. Well, Kevin, we, we totally understand that. Look, um, Kevin, you mentioned about the Super Bowls. Obviously, all NFL fans remember some great experiences and, and memories from Super Bowl 40, whether it's you guys doing it for the bus and Antoine Randall breaking out uh, uh, his old uh, quarterbacking skills from college or in Super Bowl 43, Big Ben to Santoni on the back of the end zone in an amazing Super Bowl game there against the Cardinals and everything. And you, you, the Steelers organization, obviously the whole Rooney family, what Coach Karen, Coach Tom have done, you know, it's an amazing run organization, the credit not only to yourselves, but obviously the whole of the National Football League. Uh, we wish you very well for this coming season. I'm sure, as you said, your goal is to add yet another Super Bowl ring uh, to the Pittsburgh Steelers dynasty in history. And we really thank you for taking the time, especially at this moment in the season, for talking with us today. So, Kevin Colbert, thank you so much for your time. And we really appreciate it. Hey, thank you, guys. And, and I really appreciate the support overseas. And hopefully we can we can make our fans in Pittsburgh and around the world happy again, because that, that's the only goal that we have. Ooh.